Welcome to an inspiring message from Awaken City Church. For more information about us, visit awakencity.com.au. We're talking today about the living. We can't find the living among the dead. Can I just pray and I want to unpack this word. Father God, I thank you for the opportunity we have to celebrate today. Thank you that at the close of this message, we're going to lead to a moment where people are going to go through the waters of baptism together. And Lord God, I thank you that we can honour you and we can praise you no matter what. So Lord, keep on doing your good thing among each and every one of us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to start with just unpacking a portion of Scripture that I think is most relevant on a day like today as we celebrate the resurrection. comes out of the Gospel of Luke chapter 24 verse 1 to 8. And the one thing I want to just highlight before I read this portion of Scripture is the writer of this book in the Bible, Luke, covered the life and ministry of Jesus. And Luke is known to us in church history as a physician. He was classically trained as a doctor of the day. And he wrote two books in the Bible. He wrote the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of the Account of the Life of Jesus. And he went on to write another book called the Book of Acts, which is almost like the direct sequel that flows on to see what happened after Jesus ascended to heaven. And the way that Luke writes, he writes with his mind intact, that he's observing, that he's observational, that he's bringing his understanding of reality in. And so I want you to be mindful of that as you hear the words of Luke, the physician, the doctor, recorded to us today in Luke 24, verse 1 to 8. It says this, this being on the Sunday after Jesus had been crucified, it says on the first day of the week. And before I go on, I just have to highlight the fact that I don't know if you know this, but Sunday is seen in the heart of God as the first day of the week. For for many of us, we live for the weekend. If I could only get from Friday to the weekend, missing out on the reality that the week starts today. And the week starts today not with work for us, although some of us may be in lines of work where Sunday work is a reality. But for many of us, this is what Sunday is about as the first day of the week. It is the day that we dedicate to worship that we go into our weeks worshipping. We don't end our weeks worshipping. We go into our weeks worshipping. It's always the heart of God to lead us forward. He doesn't just give us enough to get by. So we get to the end and we're exhausted and we give our hands, raise our hands limply and, and engage our hearts lightly. No, instead we get together like days like today and with intention we set our feet and we say the week starts now. And so whatever state you walked into, whatever last week was like for you, whatever any of the weeks are like for you, as you walk in, I want you to recognise this fact that Sunday is the beginning. And God leads us from the start through. And so on this Sunday, the Sunday after Jesus had been crucified, the Sunday after He had died on the cross, the Sunday after He'd been buried in a tomb that was not His own, belonging to a rich man named Joseph of Arimathea, a tomb that was not originally meant for him, but a tomb that they gave up for him, a tomb that they enclosed him in, a tomb that had been carved into the cave, into the rock face itself. It had been created to house the dead so the dead could be locked away and that people would mark that 
by walking past a tomb with a stone rolled away and a seal pressed in place so that grave robbers could not engage with it. It says this on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they, they here being a group of women, a group of women who were coming to prepare the body of Jesus for the formal sacraments as part of the, the funeral process in that culture. They, the group of women, came expecting to find the body of the one that they'd been following so that they could prepare His body for proper burial. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. This stone weighed two tonnes. This, this stone was almost like that stone that you see in Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark and that boulder just rolling down. There's no way any of those people there present were able to roll this thing, but they arrived with it already moved. They went in, but they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood by them in dazzlingly clothes. So the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. And here's what these people who appeared before them said, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Asked the men. He is not here, but he has risen. Remember, remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, it is necessary that the Son of Man be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified and rise on the third day. Remember, 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 he gave you very, he told you clearly, none of this is a surprise. He didn't lead you to a dead end. He didn't lead you to a tomb with a stone in front of it that you could not enter. He prepared you. He knew. He laid the groundwork. Remember, remember, remember. In verse 8 it says, They remembered His words on the first day of the week. The account goes on where they start to encounter the risen Lord Jesus throughout that day where He appears amongst them, where they're able to touch Him, where they're able to interact with Him, where they're able to be amazed by the fact that the one that they followed is exactly who He said He was. And from this moment, followers of Jesus there spread from that city in Jerusalem all throughout the known world, not because they'd followed simply a good teacher who had sent some nice things. They followed the one who is God, who overcame death for them. And they were so captivated and convinced of this reality that they were willing to go into the unknown world around them to tell others about Jesus, even to the risk of their own safety and life. There's no greater proof to me of the resurrection than the ones who followed Him gave everything they could to tell others about Him. Because if He simply stayed in the tomb, why would anybody be willing to die for Him? On the first day of the week, Two angelic beings appear before this group of women and they ask the question, why are you looking for the living among the dead? And there's a question I want to pose to you today. See, as we live our lives, as we go out and about, as we're working, as we're living, as we're leading our families, as we're doing everything that we can to get by, it is so easy to be caught up in death 
Not just the death of life, but the death of things that strip life from us. Where we can spend our lives looking at certain things to fulfil us and make us whole and bring us to life, but they're only a pale shadow of what God has really in store for us. See, there's no relationship that will ever fulfil us. There's no substance that can ever take us to the other side. There's no possession that we could get that we're stuck paying off on our credit card, that will ever fill the gap inside our heart where we need eternity to fill it. Why do we look for the living among the dead? I'm captivated by the fact that I get so caught up trying to make life out of dead things that I lose the life that Jesus really came to give. In the book of Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1, the writer of Hebrews is challenging the first generation followers of Jesus to not lose sight, to not to forget to remember everything that they've received, which encourages me because I struggle with that so continuously that I forget so easily the things that God has revealed and the reality that He's unpacked. And we have to remind ourselves in moments like this to remember not to forget. The writers of Hebrews writes this in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. The writer of Hebrews unpacks the reality that all of us, previous to a relationship with Jesus, have lived our lives out of this thing that the Bible calls dead works. And I know that might be offensive to some of us. How dare God call what we used to do dead? But dead there means lifeless or empty. It means that it had nothing to fulfil or satisfy. And works means undertaking. And the writer of Hebrews is bringing home this reality that for those of us to choose to follow Jesus means that we first begin with an acknowledgement that everything outside of following Jesus is dead. That even though we're living and breathing, even though we're not chickens put in a compost bin, we're surrounded by dead things because there's nothing of this world that will ever truly satisfy. That all of us are born with eternity in our heart and we grieve things that we shouldn't grieve naturally as a sign that eternity beckons. And so we have to choose to enter into this story by starting and this idea of repentance, repentance means to turn around and go the other way. It's as if you're in a speeding car in Fast 10, which is due to come out soon. Dom Toretto, driving as fast as you can, caught a mile at a time. And repentance means that you jack on that handbrake and you spin around and you do a complete 360 and you go back the other way. Repentance means that while we were going in one direction that leads to death, we chose, we chose, we chose to take control by handing control of our lives to Jesus. And we chose to go back towards Him instead of away from Him. We're leaving dead things behind because we're moving towards a faith towards God. Faith pulls you towards God. And if today, if nothing else, you're simply reminded of a decision that you made at some point, I wanna encourage you to not get caught up by dead things ever again, but to have your faith propel you towards God. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? 
There's an account that I can't get out of my head just yesterday in particular, just took the time to reflect and resonate on everything that Jesus has purchased for us and tried to put myself in the shoes of what it would have been like to be an original follower of Jesus with Jesus dead in the tomb, thinking that all hope is lost. And I don't know about you, but I get inspired by the accounts of people who have overcome amazing things. And I was thinking about a film that I watched a few years ago based on a true story, based on an autobiography or a biography about a man called Louis Zamperini. The movie is called Unbroken and it is a good movie, but his story is too powerful to fit in a movie. See, Louis Zamperini was a real life Olympian who ran in the 1936 Olympics, running the 5,000 metres. He was, he was well known, he was strong, he was courageous. And during the breakout of World War II, he, like many others, his friends and his family, signed up to do what they could to support the war effort. And it turns out in his attempt to serve people and to be on the front lines, he was in his plane scouting wreckage and seeing who they could save after attacks at war at sea and his, his plane was shot down. And as he lands in the ocean, him and a handful of others survive and they end up spending 47 days on a raft drifting at sea. 47 days of starving, of watching others who landed with them not survive only for them after 47 days, 47, 47, 47. There's no Nintendo Switch. There's no Wi-Fi. There's no TikTok. What did you do for 47 days? Just survived. And after 47 days, they, they paddle ashore and you think this would be the greatest thing ever. What an amazing story. You can put that to a movie. How did you survive for 47 days? But that's not where his story ends. In fact, this is where it begins to get worse. And as Louis Zamperini paddles to the shore with the one other survivor who survived with him, they end up paddling onto a shore that is occupied by the enemy. To have spent and survived and only to go directly. Could you imagine that? To paddle directly into the enemy after surviving. What a joke. And Louis Zamperini was separated from his one sole survivor. And he was transferred to a prison camp. And he entered into two years of extreme abuse. He was beaten daily, starved. But the guards found out that he was an Olympian and he would run races. So he would run races with the guards. But if he won, they would beat him. If he didn't try his hardest, they would beat him. He had no course of action. Something that the movie captures well, and it's all true, is that on one occasion, as they're, I think, working with railway sleepers, and I don't know if you've seen a railway sleeper. My, my poppy used to make them. My grandfather, he, I remember hearing the story that he cut off his toe once making a railway sleeper. And he showed me how his toe had been screwed, uh, not screwed, uh, uh, sewed on backwards. You don't screw a toe back on. It's a little bit disgusting. But his toe was actually sewed back on. Those sleepers are huge and heavy. In the account of Louis Samperini and his survival, he was told to hold a railway sleeper above his head 
and that if he dropped it, he would be shot. So they wanted to kill him, but he didn't allow them to. He held that thing above his head until the guards gave up watching him. Wasn't five minutes, wasn't 10 minutes, wasn't 15 minutes, wasn't 30 minutes, wasn't 45 minutes. Lost track of time. Could you just imagine holding that thing above your head and the strain that it would take, the sheer strength of character it would take to choose not to give up. At moments like that, wouldn't it be easy to say, isn't it easier just to give up? In moments like that, isn't it easier just to die? Isn't it easier just to let the guards shoot? But he was unrelenting in his desire to survive. And he was not going to be the cause of his own downfall. So he overcame all the pain and survived. After two years in this prison camp, he was liberated, brought home to America and celebrated. He's the Olympian who ran in the 1936 Berlin Games, who was locked away in a prison camp and survived it. He survived 47 days at sea. Look at this person, look at this person. And when he came back, he brought the nightmare with him. In his biography, it talks about how he couldn't sleep at night. The bed was too comfortable. All he saw in his sleep when he closed his eyes were the guards attacking him and he descended to alcoholism and despair. What a tragic account. To survive all that, to not be willing to give up, only to lose as you come back. See, he had had this unrelenting willingness to overcome all obstacles, but when brought back from the dead into the living, he couldn't survive. Until in that moment, in that moment, in that moment, he had his own encounter with God. And this is where his story really started. Because Louis Zamperini became an effective, powerful evangelist, telling people about the love of God, because within five years of being freed from this prison camp, he goes back to Japan and he meets, he meets, he meets with the guards who tortured him face to face. He meets with them. He meets with the people who tortured him and he embraced them and he forgave them and he released them. Talk about superhuman strength. Some people take decades to do that. He did it because he came into an encounter with the one who was living among the dead. And his story, while amazing, of all the things that he survived, is amazing to me simply because the only way he found freedom was in Christ. Of all the things that he faced, you think that he had it covered. He did not. Because he was living among dead things. His own efforts. His own strength. His own, his own, his own. And while I honour it, it only took him so far. He had to live out of that brokenness. But in that brokenness, he met God, the God who came down in human flesh to be amongst us in our own brokenness, in our own yuck, in our own desperation and called him out to life. That is the story of the resurrection from the dead. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Romans 8 10 to 15, as we bring this to a close. I want you to hear these words. And I want you to hear these words as if the Apostle Paul is writing them to you. In the midst of everything that you've faced, in the midst of everything that you've endured, in the midst of everything that you've come through in this broken world. And I want you to hear this as if this is a letter written to you. Because it says in Romans 8, verse 10, Now, 
now, right now, right now, not tomorrow, not yesterday, now. It's a living faith now. Now, if Christ is in you. And I just got to accentuate that there's an if there. The if is there because the if exists because if you invite Jesus into your life, He will come, but He will not force Himself. The if isn't from God. The if doesn't come from His love for you. He loves you already. The if doesn't come from condemnation because He's already provided everything in Jesus to free you from all forms of condemnation. The only if is in us if we choose to allow ourselves to follow the One who will lead us towards life. Now, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then He who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through His Spirit who lives in you. So then, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. The flesh are our disordered desires, our brokenness, the dead things that we take hold of instead of the living and true. Verse 13, because if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. You could face the worst of the worst. You could be like Louis Samperini and just through force of effort overcome only to be exposed that the best that you have isn't enough. That you desperately need Jesus for yourself. Because if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. But if you live by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Here's the truth. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in us. And in us, this is what it's doing. It's changing who we are from the inside out. For many of us, we've lived our lives maybe feeling rejected, lost, isolated, cut off. We don't fit in. Yet, because of the Spirit of Christ in us, every single one of us is adopted. I I don't know if that is significant for you, but it is for me. See, the idea of adoption means that God has chosen me. He's chosen you. He's chosen you. He's chosen you. He's adopted you. He's adopted you as if you were His firstborn son. In a culture at that time that, were, that was written where the sons received everything, all the inheritance, all the honour, all the praise. You have been adopted. If, if, if Christ, you have been adopted. God has chosen you, but you get to choose to be chosen. You've been adopted. He's chosen you to change you from the inside out so you can begin to see the truth. You're not alone. His Spirit works in you. Thanks for listening to this message. We hope it has blessed you. If you would like to find out more about Awaken City Church, visit awakencity.com.au.